listening to the Sonic Guild Colorado podcast. I'm your host, Ellen Fisher, musician, producer, and creator. This episode of our industry-focused collaboration with the Roots Music Project features Robert Maper, operations and artist manager at Future Garden Agency. We spoke virtually about the importance of innovation as an artist, what to look for when building a team to help your journey through the business side of music, setting intentions when creating an EPK, and so much more. This is the Sonic Guild Colorado Podcast with Robert Maker. You are tuning in to the Sonic Guild Colorado podcast. I am here today with Robert Maper, operations and artist manager at Future Garden. Welcome, Robert. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm so excited to be here with you and uh, just talking more about artist management. I I feel like it's a world that people are seem to be uh, mystified by, but I think really we're all just herding cats at the end of the day. So, you know, <laughs> not too much to it. <laughs> well, before we dig into the business side of making music, how did you get into the position you're in now? And what inspired you to make your career part of helping artists? Yeah, well, you know, the helping people and kind of just supporting others is really a core competency to to who I am and whatever facet it manifests, uh, which to me sounds uh, maybe a little self-centered and I apologize for this, but um, you know, my, my journey really began in the nonprofit world doing nonprofit coordination and management. And uh, lo and behold, a family member of mine that was very close got sick and I saw how hard they were working and what brought them to that point of uh, that illness. And it was, you know, just kind of grinding day in and day out at what they did. And I told myself, you know, I needed to do something different. I needed to not fall in the same footsteps and, and pursue my passions. And I realized that uh, music is that thing. So um, started out in the publication side of things, uh, writing and had my own uh, small publication called Taste Culture, Taste Music. Uh, and then from there, worked into 303 Magazine, met uh, the wonderful Corey Hazel, who I work with to this day. And me and him both met Kyle Hartman, who was a uh, wonderful member of our community here on the talent buying world and also just like artist management and booking. Um, and from there, had that awesome relationship, really hit it off with those guys. And me and Corey joined the uh, Future Garden team. And uh, the rest they say is history, I suppose. So at Future Garden, you work to provide resources to underserved populations, amplifying the voices of up and coming artists. What are some of the challenges that you find artists face when dealing with the business side of making music? Yeah, well, you know, I think as artists and just as people, we we only have so much finite energy and time to put forth towards things. And I, I know so many wonderful artists who just explore their craft to a degree that I couldn't even fathom. Just incredible musicians, including so many on our roster who are just so devoted to the craft. And when you put that time and effort into the craft, you you don't have the time to explore and understand the business side of things. Or uh, even if you do, it's it's not can't be to the same attention. I believe it just can't be to the same attention that you're putting forth towards the art itself. So having that barrier, at least uh, not barrier, but uh, a push and pull, uh, that tension between the two, of navigating the music industry and also creating music, I think is is just an ongoing process. And that is a huge challenge I see for a lot of the artists here who are trying to keep sane and keep motivated and put the the, the art that they want to in the world. Yet you have this greater music industry that uh, is designed in some ways, it seems to suck your soul away. So it's not, not a very fun place to be for that. So definitely a challenge at the end of the day for, for having a, to try and do both. 
Yeah, no kidding. I mean, I think what you said about, you know, you devote so much time to your craft and you want to be the best at what you're doing. It's almost impossible to be the best at a multitude of things if you're really that devoted to the one thing. So I think that's a huge thing to note is that it's okay that you're not as good at the business side as you are at making your art. And that's actually something to celebrate that you're that devoted to your process. Definitely. Um, what are some ways that working with a manager can help artists overcome these challenges of feeling like they're pulled in a multitude of directions? Yeah, well, you know, I think artists working with managers, uh, it's it's something that I've seen is, is really just kind of a, a step in the progression towards not necessarily segmenting the two worlds of uh you know creating the music and then exploiting the music as the term is in the industry here or managing the music whatever you want it to be but the manager really can allow the artist to more solely focus on the craft and the creative process i think you know just for instance thinking about artists that we work with on our roster like uh, a neptune or even like a naomo or mine since ramakandra there there is an ability that the manager can step in and give confidence to an artist to essentially go out and explore the creative avenues that you want and know that you have a team to back you up when it comes to the logistics side of things so it's really you know you're adding you're adding time and personnel power uh to to tackling these challenges but at the end of the day you know it's it's really the the benefits of having management and i'd say for a lot of uh, rising artists who might be listening is that you really have someone who can take the ball and keep running with it after you set it in motion and that's really the the biggest thing i see for and need wise for for a lot of artists in our community what kind of goals should bands be making in regards to booking and promoting shows? Mm. You know, that question specifically is one that I think is 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 ever changing. More than even thinking about goals for for booking and promoting, understanding your goal as an artist and an artist team if you're part, if you're part of management or even an agent, um understanding your overarching goals. What are we trying to accomplish? What are we trying to strive to here because you can have specific booking and promoting goals for your shows, but it really is going to be impactful if it is part of a larger strategy. I see a lot of artists who I ask, you know, what are your goals? And they're like, oh, well, you know, I want to go play Coachella or I want to go be on this huge support slot with this artist or headline Madison Square Garden, whatever it is. And it's like, that's great. What are your tangible goals to get there? And that is what's going to be able to drive you to understand how to go about your booking and how to go about securing those shows. And so what percentage of time, in your opinion, should artists be spending on various activities like creating the music versus at least having an understanding of how the band should be running, how they should be marketing or being able to communicate with artist management about that process? Mm -hmm. For I don't think there's a set rule, you know, and, and I would love your feedback on this as well, because quite frankly, I feel like uh, it's different for everyone. You know, it, it really is something that you can try and allocate your time and, and really schedule everything's out uh, everything out to to hopefully support your great vision and again starting with that goal to support and getting to that goal but i really do think it, it is dependent on uh just the artists themselves and, and their teams and uh, i i think i heard from uh, uh the pink fuzz folks uh, once that uh, uh maybe lulu specifically talking about how you know it's something of the nature of like a 50 50 split and that's a, a really great uh bar and metric to hit and i think that's a winning strategy but i also think that if you're an artist whose real strength is in the music and the craft and you're doing that 20 percent of your time marketing 
do that. But understand that you probably need to bring someone in <laughs> to help you with your marketing. Uh, but yeah, it, it, I think it is really different for everyone. It's a, it's a, it's a tough metric, but understand that uh, at least you need to be doing it a lot. <laughs> Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think, I mean, ideally, right, the 50-50 percentage is like, that would be amazing. And, and that's a dream goal. But it, you know, so many artists are working other jobs, or, you know, have lives are doing, you know, we're, we're not just like a machine that's churning out music and then like reading exactly. books and being like on Instagram. Um, so, you know, yeah, in a perfect world, 50, 50 is great, but I think, yeah, it's smart to know what your weaknesses are and to be able to ask for help and bring in Definitely. other people and find people that you trust to take that over. Especially, like you said, it's such a changing landscape and it's really, I think, impossible for any one person who is, that's not their sole focus, mm -hmm. um, to really understand the dynamic. I mean, it feels like one day you know what you're doing and then the next day you're like, oh, this that was wrong. Or now it's a, exactly. a, a new way to do it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think it's really smart to have that team behind you that's like, hey, no, this is, this is what we're focused on so that we can understand the dynamics. And then, you know, you can make the music and really devote your time to understanding your goals. I think that's huge as an artist, especially exactly. just as like, I mean, I hate the word like the, you know, brand yourself, but in for all intents and purposes, you do have to kind of understand who you are. And that has to be a really truthful, vulnerable thing. And that's how people connect with you. Oh, um, definitely. And so and if you understand that, and then you can take that to somebody else, I think like you're setting yourself up for that 50-50 mark, at least. Exactly. You're trying to. Exactly. And I love that. And, and just kind of even talking about the talking a little bit more about like the vulnerability of marketing than oneself. I think that's something that we don't talk about a lot in the industry, but you know, you spoke about uh, the word brand and, and uh, I, I also don't love the verbiage, but at the end of the day, I'm like, this is kind of what we do. <laughs> you know, we're, we're building these brands with these artists. Um, and I've just seen how building a brand and then bringing it to a team is such an effective strategy. Um, thinking about even before working with Future Garden, working in like kind of a marketing world, trying to find my footing and place in the industry, um, working with the artist Big Dopes and um, uh, Eddie over there and a tremendous fellow. He, he brought in a team of people for his release and said, we're going to make something special here where we're going to bring everything in. Here's my vision. Here's what I want to do. And just seeing that level up moment for where they were towards where they took it and just how fully realized that that project came to be um, because of the effort that they put into the branding and bringing people in. It, it was night and day. And, and I really applaud him for doing that. And I, I encourage so many folks just, you know, I understand that budgets are tight and that bringing in people and paying them for their time is critical. Um, but if you have people that are passionate about your journey and they want to be a part of it, try it out, bring them in. Uh, and it is something where, again, you may not be having the, the, the capital to pay them for what they're worth now, but for the promise of the opportunity to, to pay them in the future, or at least to, to have people grow them, grow them beside you as a part of a team, you're going to go way further, especially in kind of the, uh, I don't know if it's a dog eat dog world at this uh, stage of uh, rising artists, but it is certainly a competitive one. So having any advantage is, is critical. Yeah, absolutely. I love, yeah, dog eat dog or I don't know, uh, uh, fast and the furious, like yeah. car race. Like, yeah, yeah. It definitely feels like that a lot of the time, you know, and it's like, what's the next biggest, best thing? Mm -hmm. And um, I think understanding your story and understanding yourself and knowing what you want to do as an artist kind of can help get out of that like rat race a little bit. Definitely, definitely. What would you say are some like red flags for artists to look out for if they are 
looking to bring bring in people to their team. Mm-hmm. You know, you never can know just as with everything uh, um, that how people are going to turn out, who they're going to be. You know, you have to take risks and give them opportunities and that sort of stuff. I think we we all do that in our personal lives, whether it's our professional lives. Uh, but looking out to see how much people care about your work. I think passion is such a huge drive. And this is something that uh, Kyle Hartman has taught me and told me so many times is that, you know, you you can work with anyone, but you need to be passionate about it. Um, he's even told me about uh, when I was considering managing other projects, uh, he just asked me, it's like, yeah, that's great. That's cool that you want to do that. But are you passionate about working with these people? Do you love the music? Do you love every facet of what they do? And if the answer is no, then you shouldn't work with them. And so if you're the artist that's sitting on the other side of that and you have people that are like, oh yeah, I'd love to be part of this. If they aren't ride or die, if they aren't really putting their their time and energy into this in a way that you see that they're seething or that they're they're frothing in the mouth of that opportunity that they're, they just want nothing more than to see you succeed, don't work with them. <laughs> Uh, unless you can pay them the rate. And then that's a whole different thing. But uh, truthfully, at this uh, this stage for a lot of rising artists, I know that's not the case. But again, understand where the passion lies in people. And if you're not seeing that passion put back into your project from them, then maybe it's time to move on. <laughs> Great advice. Great advice. I love that. It's all about the passion and community. And I think that's, I love what you said about taking risks too. It's like you you can't learn and grow unless you take a risk and trust people. And that might turn out really horribly, but at least you learn a lesson and then you can take that in and keep kind of growing and just keep that train going instead of, it's, it's a lot like heartbreak. You know, you just have to like mm-hmm. get out there and, you know, not like wall yourself up so that you can actually like find the people that you're looking for. Um, I think that's really fantastic. Yeah, exactly. What do venues expect from bands in regards to marketing and promoting shows once they're booked? And in what ways do you communicate with the band kind of as that like liaison? Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, I and seeing knowing that some of this was coming down the pipeline, uh, talking about the venue stuff, I know this is where I can get in trouble, but uh, I'll still try and give uh, the, the tips and tricks and the secrets to this. But you know, the expectation wise, it, it really is going to depend on the marketing team and, and the, the promoter aspect, what they expect you guys to do in terms of ticket sales, or if you're just being kind of added on, added onto a bill as a first of four, are they really going to expect you to pack that place out? Probably not. Um, but I think that you should at least have an honest conversation with the promoter team, um, even if it's just specifically like the marketer that you're working with. It doesn't necessarily have to be the talent buyer, the marketer that you're working with to say, like, what do you want from me? And an easy way to start that conversation, I think, is just saying, hey, you know, this is what we we're planning to do to promote this show. And additionally, what um, are you guys working on on your end to promote the show? How can we help augment that? And just starting the conversation out there. Um, you know, being in the management role, you are in the unfortunate position of pushing probably what is uh, either a person or a group of people to be uncomfortable and do marketing stuff that feels very, very inorganic for shows and things of that nature. Um, but it is part of the game, uh, un- uh, fortunately and unfortunately. I, I do think that, you know, uh, just for advice for for fellow managers here is having that honest conversation with your, your band and your team as well to say, like, this is what I want to propose to these people, to the promoter of what we can offer. Um, but I want to see if that's okay with you guys first. So just having that conversation going into it, everyone, uh, I think transparency is, is really key to trying to make the people as least upset as possible. Um, but also knowing that, uh, you're probably going to make someone upset down the line. That's okay. <laughs> 
So how do those expectations change when working with a local artist versus national acts? Or even how does your approach to, you know, working with those different level of artists as a manager, like what is that experience like for you? Yeah, local artists and national acts, you know, just even one thing specifically talking about venues, I it's very strange, I think, where um, I see a pattern where there's a ton, an absolute ton of pressure that is put on local artists to overperform, um, whether that is promoting shows, whether that's putting out albums, what just in everything that they do, there is just such an intense amount of pressure because you haven't broken through that ceiling to the next step. And, and the industry is uh, not a fair place to say the least. But working with national artists, you know, you see that script flipped in a lot of these venues and, and even on the marketing side where they have the leverage to make demands of the marketing teams for these promoters that you as a local artist could never dream of. You as an artist, uh, when you are trying to rise up, you know, until you prove yourself, people aren't going to value you for what you are worth. And really, you could be worth a ton. You could be the next diamond in the rough and the whole thing. And it's on you to advocate for yourself for that. And once you advocate for yourself and set that standard with folks, and when we see this with like national acts, then you do have that leverage to come back at people and say uh, yes and no. So many times you're put into a corner to say yes on everything and, and to try and claude every opportunity that you can. But that's really kind of one of the biggest differences I see between that local and national is that when you get to that national, it's really you valuing yourself for what you are worth. <laughs> Uh, maybe that's personal advice for everyone to value yourself for what you're worth, but understand that yes, there there is greater listenership, or you know, if you're a quote unquote national artist, uh, you might have a larger following or whatever it might be. But truly, I I think a lot of that comes to maybe this is an IA mentality, but it is artists valuing their art for where it is. It is them valuing their worth, and then thus people value them because they set that bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's like when you say it like that, it sounds so simple. You're like, just value yourself. Right, right. Like, but I think that is a huge part of it. And knowing what you're worth and being able to walk away and say no to things oftentimes opens much more interesting doors than if you were to just chase every yes and be like running yourself kind of uh, ragged to like mm -hmm. get to a certain point. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. that's huge. Definitely. Yeah. Just... Uh, again, inside of the music industry and outside of it, please value yourselves, people. That's all I'm asking for at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, take care of you. How uh, do different size venues generally approach booking and promoting a show? You've worked with artists that do local performances all the way up. You know, Neptune was at uh, the Electric Forest. Festa, like that's a huge kind of jump. What is the difference there between those and how can somebody prepare themselves for, for those differences? Yeah, I think the biggest difference is understanding the size of the machine that you're working with. Not to to call the folks behind the, the scenes here, the machine, but just understand that, especially on like a an electric forest, you are one of hundreds of artists that are going to be performing and the needs and expectations put upon you are very calculated. People, These people for these festivals, especially these larger ones, they know what they're doing. And if they're asked you to follow up to to do the bare minimum please execute on that do what they are asking in terms of marketing promotion but even just greater than that again uh, thinking about locally uh ums is a great opportunity for for rising artists here in in denver colorado to go above and beyond uh, uh, and just kind of level up their own uh, resume but also just understanding how festivals work and stuff like that 
But again, you are one of so many different people who are who are getting onto the stage, and you also need to advocate for yourself within that system. It is very easy for things to to get lost in the shuffle of the coordination. There might be one person communicating with all these different bands. You know, you if you have a need, you need to express that, obviously within reason, but you still need to do that self-advocacy work. And I see just, you know, pitfalls with that time and time again, where things are not communicated ahead of time, or things we think are communicated ahead of time, get lost in the shuffle. And just making sure that you did your work ahead of time to not only, again, marketing promotion be right, but also making sure that if it's just even on an operation side, that your stage plot, that your ride or whatever it is, is sent to these folks so that they have everything in their arsenal to make your performance the best it can be. Uh, But then also even on the execution side of that, um, when you show up to your performance, knowing what you need to do if things go wrong and they did not read your writer and they did not uh, have that set up for you appropriately, advocate for yourself and prepare for those opportunities because you want to come correct. You, you don't want to be putting yourself in this position where you sort of just got on this roster and you expected everything to be handled from there. It is easy to get lost in the shuffle. So, you know, work with the system of uh, these festivals, or if this is a large, or even talking about like an AEG or Live Nation, they of course know what they're doing, they're the two biggest in the game, work with them, but also be doing the work on your side to make your performance successful. Don't just rely on these organizations to see that success for you. And so diving into a little bit about communicating as an artist, do you have any advice for artists on how to communicate about pay for the show? Whether that's, hey, we want to do ticket sales, we want to do a split, navigating those differences in how they're going to get compensated. Is there any specifics or just general advice that you have about like, hey, let's do this in a way that everybody wins? Sure, sure. And mind you, I, I say this with uh, the advice coming from the operations and management uh, side of the <laughs> the industry, and less so, uh, I think the agent Kyle Hartman, uh, who's who's a founder of Future Garden, would answer this much more cleanly. But uh, thinking about that is, you know, it's not a one size fits all thing. But you should do your research and your homework to understand your worth in terms of ticket sales. And again, that advocacy, being able to talk about, hey, this is what I'm worth. This is what I should be paid for this. I know my numbers. I know that when I walk into this venue, that this is. Uh, either a drink hungry crowd and things of that nature that you're going to make money off of this performance. Just being able to really hone in and and create the pitch for for yourself um, that is honest to where you're at. If you are trying to say to your local promoter that you are worth 100 tickets when you're worth 20, that's not going to be good on you. Uh, you might get that show uh, by, you know, stretching the the truth pretty far, but you're not going to get the next one. And and really, that's the big piece here is understanding that with these local promoters and buyers that you want to maintain that relationship that for better, or for worse, these are the folks that are going to put you on these shows and they're going to be the ones that are making that decision to say yes or no. Yes, artists in their headlining slots have the say and, and can put you on the bill if they really want to. But you as a local promoter or as a local artist, rather, or if you want to be on these support slots, you're better chance, you have a better chance of talking to that talent buyer that you have an awesome relationship with than talking to the artist that gets a thousand emails a second for people who want to hop on that bill. So, you know, just understand that be realistic, do your research, um, come up with a pitch, something that is very solid for, for who you are, where you're at, and also develop these relationships. I know that there are unsavory characters in this uh, side of the, the world as well, but you know, that's kind of the, the game anywhere in any industry, I suppose, just, you know, 
try and make that relationship the best that you can. And there really are a lot of, uh, especially now more than ever, I'd say there really are a lot of talent buyers and, and people stepping into these positions where the old guard is moving out and the new guard is coming in that are wanting to put local artists on that are understanding that from the past pandemic that we've been going through, uh, that people need their shot and that there's a lot of new, exciting music and talent coming out there. So just, just develop these relationships with folks in a, uh, in a realistic way. <laughs> yeah. Integrity goes a long way for both sides. Like everybody can get along and you're truthful, you're communicating. There's no reason for everybody not to succeed. Exactly. In your perspective, what makes a good EPK? And does mm. that change for genre or band size? Or is there like a standard, this is how you do it? Oh God, I, you know, if you have secrets to this as well, I'm all ears for this. I think for, for an EPK as uh, in, my, in my limited experience here, um, is that you want to create something that tells everything that it needs to tell in a concise manner. I am notorious even from my past writing career to just keep droning on and on about nothing that matters and just trying to use as great verbiage as I can uh, to, to try and inflate my own ego. But that's, don't go that route. Don't go that route. Just I would really hone in on what you want to tell and say it in a concise manner in your EPK where you are relaying it also not only in a factual way, but also in an engaging way. Your EPK is something that people might look at for five seconds. So again, visually uh, needs to be appealing. People need to want to look at it. Uh, the verbiage in itself is something that people will want to, uh, uh, if it is good, people want to keep reading uh, just just with, with anything else. Um, so understanding that capacity to it of you want to create a very engaging piece of media. And if that means spending money on it to, to hire out, to create, have someone create one that's that's very engaging, I would say do it because this might be the only, the only point of reference that someone sees for your artistry. So you want it to stand out. Um, just it's your resume uh, that you're sending over to, to a job that you're applying for or something like that. Um, but even further than that, I would say, you know, once you have something that's that's clearly conveys who you are and, and what you're doing. You also, I would say, don't be afraid to tailor that to who you're sending it out to. You have your press EPK, you have your talent buying EPK, just you have these different pieces that are all saying similar information, but they are pinpointing exactly what the person on the other end wants to see. So having that in your arsenal is going to go much further than if you have a general blanket statement of who you are. And it is more work and it is time consuming, but um, just even even thinking about it from the other end of it, if you're sending your EPK off to um, to a press person, are they really going to want to understand your numbers in terms of ticket sales? You know, are they really going to want to see these kind of the minutia of the industry side of things that may not be applicable to a press person? You you want to tailor it to who you're sending it to. Yeah, I think that's great advice. I really do. I think like being specific about who's going to see this, what information is relevant, you know, because for press, I think there's a huge element of storytelling and really amazing photos, maybe a really great video of you performing that they can put on a web link, um, you know, making sure all of your links are right and they're going to the right place versus, yeah, the talent buyers, they're, they don't care about the story really i mean right, not right. you know they care of course but yeah they're much more interested in numbers in understanding okay how is this going to be beneficial for our venue for you know our lineup our season and it's all about the value add exactly. i mean for everybody but understanding what that value is is really important and can go a long way i mean like you said it's time consuming and you might have to think about it but there's so many amazing tools now too i mean even with like chat gpt or you know you if you can't afford 
afford or you don't have right now the the impetus to have a team, there's so many ways that you can help yourself if you just put in a little extra time and then, you know, personalize it and understand it a little bit. But although I, you know, as a fellow artist personally, I would be like, give me a team. Like, I don't want to think about it. I would much rather have somebody that's like on it. Tell me what to do. And then oh, I yeah. can I can follow through. Yeah. So in terms of gaining an audience. It's a little bit of a shift from the venues. Have you found that artists that you're managing have engaged with their, their fans in a, a really great way or in any sort of like out of the box thinking? Or is it really just being clever about your social media and the content that you post that keeps your fans engaged? Mm. And, and my apologies to to better understand the question. So just what uh, what innovative things people are doing that I think are, are very effective? Yeah, in terms of fan engagement. Gotcha. Yeah, I, th- I think there's, there's a lot of really cool things that are happening. And I think just quite simply, like you, you see see social media efforts of some of these larger artists where they take the time to engage with their fans uh, that they wouldn't otherwise do. Uh, You can look at that on a national scale and you can see someone like King Gizzard and the Wizard Lizard that like stems their stems for free or something like that to and people can just download that and that's completely changing the game. But for the music heads that really love that and want to work with that, that's like, oh my God, this is incredible. But even something like where someone on our roster, Neptune, who is going constantly live on Instagram and is just he's he's there he, he he's available for your questions for you to talk to even if there is a sense of mystique and, and distance between you and him uh, at the the end of the day there there are so many ways that you can honor your fans and in in terms of uh, I, I wish I had more specific examples of like really incredible ones in my mind right now but I, I can't help but espouse advice whether it's worth it or not. So uh, just on that front, I would say that, you know, if you are a rising artist who has a really strong sense of who you are and, and what your brand is and who you're trying to cater your your content and even if it is your music and that's the route you want to go, all the more power to you. If you really know what you're about, then create those opportunities that honor your fans. I think uh, one instance uh, for band I work with, the manager Ramakandra, we ha- held an event at uh, UMS Weekend that specifically worked with this amazing, amazing tea tea and drink place called Tea Cafe. And they are Southeast Asian-owned business. And one of the things for Ramakandra is that it is a core competency for that band to not only support, but to also represent diverse cultural expression. And obviously through everything that has happened through this uh, past pandemic here, uh, and as we still continue to go through, you know, harboring and fostering that representation and supporting that in our community is so important. So they are created, they created an event to work with them uh, and just host what is now a what they call a tea session and the band goes in and uh, they play what is a strip back set for a very small amount of people. But it's a for the fans sort of thing. It's if you want to be a part of the Ramakandra family, if, if you want to understand what's coming down the pipeline, you come out to this sort of thing. Um, we create and curate this really awesome experience for you. Uh, and it's also spotlighting, showcasing that light on a local business. So, you know, thinking back on like how you can best engage your fans, I don't think that there's the right answer to blanket that statement, but understanding your fans and where they go and what they would want to see out of you and creating those opportunities for them, it will go a long way. (laughs) Holding people's attention is not easy. So if you are constantly trying to figure out ways in which you can either recontextualize your art or, or just find ways that if you could be excited about it for yourself and say, this music is for me. So if I, if this initiative that I have excites me, it's probably going to excite someone else. Just do it. Just uh, take the Nike approach, I suppose. Uh, find a way to, to figure it out and, and create something that 
really makes people feel like they are seen and honored for supporting you. Yeah, I think that's fantastic advice. I think, you know, it goes a long way cultivating a community. And it's really less about these people are just here to kind of like commodify my art. More Mm. like I'm creating a community of people that I'm saying what I feel and things that I believe. And these are the people around me that are taking that and also are there saying, hey, you've really struck a deep truth in us too. And how you can bring those people together in interesting ways is fantastic and I mean I think the tea thing that sounds amazing that's definitely something that like I would want to go to as a as a fan and you know honoring your culture creating opportunities for diversity and representation I think that's the future that so many people want to be a part of and right. so the more that you nourish that you know the, the more nourished you get as an artist just by being there exactly exactly and one thing I really wanted to touch on there is what you talk about with community community is key and you can see community that has has manifested like, I don't know, like Taylor Swift fans and things of that nature who the Swifties and they have all their own in jokes and all this sort of stuff and they love it. But um, even for rising artists, you know, you can create a culture and a community around your music that doesn't have to be about your music. It can be about the message that you want to bring forward and people will resonate with that much longer realistically than they will resonate with your music. Uh, being uh, ingraining your your art and your message into people's cultural identity is when I when I say it out loud, that sounds kind of big, <laughs> like a, a big crazy thing that uh, it might seem like an impossible task. But understanding that, you know, music in its own right is is really just it's such a cornerstone of so many pieces of culture. Uh, and if your artistry can can help foster positive community growth or positive community change, that is going to be the, one of the biggest impacts you can make as an artist. Uh, again, going back and talking about goals, you know, you can have the goal of, you know, wanting to play Madison Square Garden. But I know many artists who have the goals of saying, I want to leave an impact. I want my music and my art to be seen and heard by people in a way that affects them positively. And I think that's beautiful. And a way to do that is building a community that with your work that goes and and, and pushes those messages forward. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Robert, I have one more question for you before we're out of time. I'm so sad though. I would love to keep talking to you. I feel like you're just this little well of information (laughs) that I just want to be like pulling more out of. Um, So I guess, do you have any last words of wisdom to other band leaders, artists, or potential people who are like, hey, I think I want to be an artist manager. This sounds really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is a question I've been kind of pondering here for a minute, but there's so many things I want to mention. But the one that stands out to me the most is that understand that I have this written down. I I have to bring it up because I I was like, I was really wanting to to nail this and and answer this. It's a big question. (laughs) I know. I'm like, any last words of wisdom? This is the thing that's going on your tombstone. (laughs) Right. Exactly. You Listen, I wrote this out. So if you want to put it on my tombstone, it's already proved. Okay. The one thing, the one thing I want to say more than anything is innovate. The music industry, it's not fair. It's not a fair place for artists. And it is designed in a way that is to exploit your work. Even talking about the literal terminology uh, for this, you are exploiting the work of these artists to try and get the most amount of money that you can out of this or whatever it is. You're as an artist uh, or as an artist manager, the music is so often looked at as the resource. That is what these larger organizations are mining. That is what fuels this is the resource that fuels this industry. And understanding that it's a game and it's it's an industry where just by entering 
just by saying that you are a part of the music industry significantly decreases your chance of succeeding within that industry. Once you once you say that you're going to play it by the book, and once you say that you are going to play the game as everyone else does, you are locking yourself into having to go down that road. And it is, it is a hard game. It is very expensive. It doesn't have to be, but that's where the innovation comes in. If you can continuously forward think and, and try and come up with ways that diversify you or your artists or, or your team from the competition, where the example I like to give is that, you know, you could get on a playlist um, or you could get on the radio where you are, uh, or get on, well, I'll go with the place exa- playlist example. You can get on a playlist where there are hundreds and hundreds of songs that people are listening to passively, whereas you can get on the radio in a food store. If you are playing over on the radio in a food store, people are locked into that experience. You, you're, they have to listen to your music and you are the only game in town. You are the only artist playing at that exact one time. Whereas if someone is sitting at home going through playlists, they can skip through and find the experience. You know, you want to find a way as an artist or as an, as an artist manager to put your artists and put your music in places where it can be unique and it can stand on its own. If you can do that and find ways to constantly innovate and, and find ways to, to kind of break the game, then that will be a, a much easier avenue to success. Fantastic. Wow. What a thing to have on your gravestone. Innovate. <laughs> That's beautiful. I uh, love that. That's just, I think, I think it's genius, honestly, because you're right. Like there's, I think people feel, often feel like they have to do things a certain way and that's the only way to be successful. But so many mm-hmm. people that we see are successful are that way because they were like, I'm throwing this rule book out. I'm just going to do some crazy things. I'm going to see what works. Mm-hmm. And I, so I think that's a brilliant piece of advice to end thank on. You. And thank you so much for your time. Oh, it's my been pleasure. an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This has been wonderful. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Sonic Guild Colorado Podcasts collaboration with the Roots Music Project. Check out the links in our show notes to learn more about Future Garden Agency and to become a member of Sonic Guild Colorado.